This is Zach Driscoll, and I'd like to welcome you to the Real Men Podcast. To find more Bible teaching and content like this, visit markdriscoll.org. And don't forget to set aside a good chunk of time, because my dad has a habit of preaching lengthy sermons. Well, howdy, Pastor Mark Driscoll here, wanting to thank you for joining me online and letting me join you in what is a crazy crisis season for us all. We started this ministry real men here at the Trinity Church in Scottsdale, Arizona, and then started streaming it live online just to help men around the world. And we did this fairly recently, and I didn't know, of course, what would be forthcoming. And I believe that the timing was really of the Lord, because right now, men in their home and in their place of business, as well as their church and community, have a massive, massive leadership responsibility. And so it's a great honor to love, help, and serve you as I'm praying for you. And uh, those of you who are ladies and tuning in, we love you. We're glad to have you. But my comments will largely be directed toward the men. And that is that in moments of crisis, there is an incredible need for leadership at every single level. And as men, God has given us a position of responsibility for the well-being of our wives and our children To be the head of a household doesn't mean you're the boss or the bully. It means you're the one that takes first responsibility for the love, care, and provision of everyone in the family. That being said, I've been in the uh, book of Daniel, just finished up chapter 11 last Sunday. We'll finish up the book with chapter 12 next Sunday. And Daniel is a case study in crisis leadership. Uh, Daniel, as you may remember, if you've joined me, uh, the book opens. He's a teenager. He's in Israel. That nation is invaded. It is a geopolitical, global upheaval and crisis. The people of God are taken as slaves, brought um, to another nation called Babylon, some six or 700 miles away. Now Daniel is a teenager. Uh, He's in a foreign country. He has to learn a new language. They have a different religion. They worship a different God. Everything is different. He literally has crisis after crisis. From that moment that he is abducted as a teenage boy for the next 70 or 80 years of his life, uh, that is the the storyline of Daniel until he's in his late 80s or early 90s, all he has ever known is a succession and series of crises, one thing after another. And as I was thinking about it and praying about it, it really is quite astonishing that, that he lived through all of these successive crises. I mean, in his lifetime, uh, his nation was invaded multiple times. Kings went down, new kings came in, new governments were set up, new economies were rebooted, new legal systems were enacted, and he lives and leads through all of these crises. And as a result, he serves as for us a case study, particularly for men, how to be leading through crisis. Um, as well, two things that he did have. Number one, he had God over him and he had God in him. And these are the two things that you and I need to pay most careful attention to. Uh, His name literally means God is my judge. So Daniel gets up every day, receives oftentimes very bad traumatic news that sometimes has him paralyzed and just sort of overwhelmed and exhausted and and even looks like panic attacks later in the book, the kinds of things that many people are experiencing as we speak. But his name literally means God is my judge. So he would wake up every day, take all the information that was current, and then try to make the best possible decision in relation to God. And sometimes that's all you can do is, okay, 
Ultimately, when all is said and done, the answers and decisions that I will make today, I need to give an account to God. God is my judge, so I need to live in light of what is right in his sight. So he had God over him. He also had God in him. Three times in Daniel chapter four, it is said that he had the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God in him. These are the two things that you need to understand so that you can lead through crisis. There is a God over you who knows the future and he can help direct your steps to make wise decisions for yourself, for your family, for your company, for your ministry. In addition, the spirit of God is in you and he is the spirit of wisdom and he will help navigate your emotional health and also your decision-making through crisis. That being said, I wanna look at Daniel as a case study because right now we've got limited time, energy, and money, and I don't want you to waste any of it. I want you to invest it so that there can be hope and a good future for you, your family, and all the people that are depending upon you. And so this talk is four questions for leading through crisis. And I'll just give you this simple chart. Uh, God brought this to mind today as I was praying for you this morning and how I might be able to help. This was something that a very uh, successful, godly business leader shared with me maybe two decades ago. It's someone that I hold in high regard and someone that I've learned a lot from. And I was reminded of a conversation that we had and it was something like this. There are four kinds of things that occur and you've got to decide how you'll respond. Uh, I'll hit them briefly and then revisit them in succession. Number one, you think you can fix it and you can. Move, move to action. Number two, you think you can fix it and you can't. It's a waste of time, money, and energy. It doesn't matter how much you throw at it, you're not going to change it, move on. Number three, you don't think you can fix it and you can, you need to move. You think there's nothing I can do about that. Okay, there may be, there may be. And number four, you don't think you can fix it and you can't, move on. Category number one, you think you can fix it and you can, you need to move. For Daniel, uh, chapter two, chapter four in the book of Daniel, the king has a dream and Daniel thinks, you know what? That dream came from God. Therefore, only God knows how to interpret that dream. I have the spirit of God in me and I have God ruling over me. I could do this. I could interpret the dream. There was a need, there was a crisis, there was an opportunity. Nobody else knew what to do, but Daniel said, you know what? I think I can, I think I can invoke the Lord and I think the Lord can reveal to me the interpretation of the dream. And so he did. In chapter four, there's another occasion where literally the king loses his mind for a period of time. So there's a need for interim leadership. So Daniel steps up in chapter four and he's the interim temporary leader. These are examples of Daniel thinking, you know what, I can fix this. I can interpret this dream. I can lead this country. I can make these decisions. I think I can do this. And as a result, he moves to action and he becomes part of a solution for you. Practically, what are things right now that you think you can fix and you can, and you need to act on them? Take your time, money, and energy and put it toward them. For example, this is a good time for all of us to make some very practical decisions like how can I, as a man, or we as a family, cut expenses? Dig into your budget. You know what? That's something we can do. We can't control what's going on geopolitically and economically and globally, but our spending and our expenditures, we do have some measure of control over that. What can we cut? In addition, things like, how can I be healthy? Physically healthy. If you're just home eating junk food, watching the news and drinking alcohol, that's not a real good go forward plan. That's what some people are doing. We're seeing increase in domestic violence, 
child abuse. It's, it's a hard time. Families are under a lot of pressure. People are living their life in close proximity under great economic strain and fear of the future. Uh, you can't control everything out there, but here's what you do have control over. You can fix in here. You can make sure that your soul, that your mind, that your body are healthy and strong, that you're eating well, sleeping well, hydrating, so that whomever is depending upon you gets the best version of you. You have some measure of opportunity to fix that, and you also can lead your family. This is an opportunity for those of us who are married to really focus on our marriage. Uh, anything that we were avoiding, we're now compressed together, we have to deal with. Any way that we don't relate well or make decisions well or resolve conflict well or forgive quickly or pray wholeheartedly, this is a time for a reset. You can do that. This is a chance to lovingly lead your family, lead them in prayer, lead them by just asking questions, how they're doing and how you can be praying and, and, and what their emotional state is through it all, depending upon their age. These are all things you can do. And right now there are a lot of things in the world, quite frankly, there's nothing you can do. You can't move. You can't throw time, energy, and money at it and fix it. But there are some things that you can. So you need to focus on those things, put your time, energy, and money toward those things so that you can start to position yourself to navigate whatever is to come next. So you think you can fix it? Move, right? Think I can fix my budget. I think I can get more healthy. I think I can fix my marriage. I think I can have a healthier relationship with my kids. I think I can grow spiritually through this season. I think I can double down on my prayer life. Then move, take time, energy, money, and move in that direction. Category two, you think you can fix it and you can't. You need to move on. There are things that people think they can fix and they take time, energy, and money, and they just keep throwing time, energy, and money at it, but it's in vain. It's a waste of time, energy, and money. Uh, I'll use Daniel as a case study. In chapters 10 and 11, God reveals to him the future and the succession of kingdoms, one kingdom after another, after another, after another, into the long future, both from his present day, hundreds of days into the future, into the second coming of Jesus and the eternal kingdom of God. So he gets this overwhelming vision, all this bad news for him. It was bad news, this avalanche of bad news. Here's what's coming. And ultimately, you can see that Daniel is wrestling, trying to figure out, well, how do I prevent this? Or what do I do about this? Or how can I change this? Or if this is what the future seems to hold, how can I alter that? And he becomes very anxious. He becomes very stressed. He becomes very depressed. It says in chapter 10 and 11 that he was overwhelmed, that he fell face down. He passed out asleep, uh, that he was exhausted, that he didn't eat for an extended period of time, that he was just a shell of himself. That was because ultimately he had bad news. He was worried about the future and he was taking his time, energy and money and throwing it into the future, trying to figure out how do I fix it? How do I change it? And then he finally realized, I can't, right? There's nothing I can do about this. There are some things right now that you just need to know, they're out of your hands, but they're in God's hands. That doesn't mean that there is no hope, but that does mean that there is nothing you can do. I'll give you some examples for, you think you can fix it and you can't. Um, right now, you know, there are a few smart guys who are working on a virus cure. That ain't me, I'm guessing, that ain't you. There's nothing we can do. When it comes to global pandemics and medical research, I'm not your guy. I'm not your guy. You wanna talk about 80s metal, MMA, and Chevy trucks? I'm your guy. 
You wanna fix a global pandemic? I'm not your guy. I got nothing to contribute. That's out of my hands. It's in somebody else's hands and it's ultimately in God's hands. Some of you are spending a lot of time and energy online. What is the cure? What is the hope? That is probably a waste of time and energy. Uh, some of you are trying to figure out you know, how ultimately you can win back everything that you lost that maybe you had invested in the stock market or other investments. You need to know you don't control the stock market. At the end of the day, what the future holds, we will all see. But right now, just obsessing over your money or making panic decisions like cashing in your retirement or selling all your stocks at the bottom of the market or pulling all the equity out of your home, that is probably short-sighted and foolish. It is probably not wise long-term planning. But people make foolish decisions under pressure because they think, uh, I can control the future. I can fix the future. I can change the future. There are some things you just need to let go of and ultimately wait and see what the future holds. And there are probably some of you that are trying to figure out how to save things that you can't save. Maybe it's a business. Maybe it's a ministry. Maybe it's an investment. Maybe it's a family vacation. Maybe it's a hope for the future. Maybe it's a plan that you had. Maybe it's a memory you were looking forward to making. Whatever the case may be, you think you can fix it, but just be honest and say, I can't. So you know what? I'm gonna move on. I'm gonna take my time, energy, and money, and I'm gonna shift it over towards something that I can fix, a place that I can make some sort of progress. Category three, you don't think you can fix it and you can't. Then you need to move. There are things that we look at and we say, well, I can't do anything about that. And then if you look at it again, you realize actually there are some things I can do about that. There is an opportunity here. There is an opportunity here. I'll give you some examples from Daniel. Um, chapter nine, it reaches a point where there's nothing more that Daniel can do, right? God's people are making their decisions. The ungodly people are making their decisions geopolitical upheaval, crisis, international conflict, some of the same sentiment that we are struggling with presently. And what Daniel decides is he can pray. So Daniel chapter nine is a very long prayer. And it told us earlier in the book that he would pray regularly three times a day. There are times you look at something and you think, there's, there's nothing I can do. Well, you can pray. You can always pray. And prayer is asking God to fix it or God to fix you to get you through it. Either way, there is a way to fix it. Either have God fix the problem or fix you so that you can get through the problem. So what Daniel does in chapter nine, he prays. Let me just say, you can always stop, you can always pray, and either God will fix it or God will fix you to get you through it. That's the whole point of prayer. Now, some examples for you practically. Um, you can find an opportunity. You can find an opportunity in this to say, as I said, um, how can I fix my marriage? You may be looking at, you may have went into this crisis and said, you know, where we're at as a couple, we're just stuck. That's the way we are. It's not gonna get any better. You know, we'll just have to learn to coexist with one another. But now you're coexisting under intense pressure under the same roof and suddenly you're a homeschooler. Well, that's a lot of pressure. You may revisit that and say, you know what? I didn't think there was anything I could do about my marriage, but there is some things I can do. I could pray for my wife. I could pray for myself. I could pray with my wife. I could pray um, to the Lord to change both of our hearts. I could say, I'm sorry. I could apologize. I could ask questions like, how can I be helpful? How can I be a good friend? Um, what have I done that has been harmful to you or, or discouraging to you? What are the things that I've done in our relationship that have been encouraging and, and life-giving to you? 
I'm sorry for these things. I, my heart's desire is to make progress in these areas. I want us to have a better marriage. I want us to be better friends. I want this pressure to push us together and not pull us apart. Some of you went into this crisis thinking, you know what? There's really not much I can do with my kids. They've got their own personalities. They make their own decisions. They're going their own life course. And sometimes as parents, we let things go on to autopilot and just sort of take our hands off the relationship. There are some things you can do now. Your kids aren't gone all the time. Um, if your family's like mine, sports season's canceled. My son's basketball season got canceled. My son's senior baseball season got canceled. It used to be that we were out most every night, schedule filled with activities, not a lot of time together. We would get together for dinner. We were a loving and close family, but when you've got five kids, there's a lot of activity. And, and you can find a point where you just say, you know what? This is our life, we're busy, we don't get a lot of quality time or we're not together as much as we used to be. There's an opportunity now to fix that. So you know what? There is a window of opportunity here to get more time with the kids, to get more time together as a family, to work on the relationship and to make things better on the other side of this, not just enduring through this. I want you to see that in every crisis, there are also opportunities opportunities for you to grow in your relationship with God. Uh, if you're unemployed, I'm very sorry, and I'm praying you find work. And we're in Scottsdale, Arizona, and the hospitality industry and the entertainment industry here has been decimated, and uh, we'll see what the future holds. Uh, but you can spend time getting to know the Word of God. You can spend time in prayer. You can spend time encouraging others. There are ways to nurture and grow your soul so that whatever the future holds, the best version of you is prepared and ready for that. Now, the people that just sort of waste this time and don't invest it, they don't get their time of the Lord. They don't get their time of the spouse. They don't work on the relationship with the kids. They're missing a window of opportunity. And oftentimes it's because they're thinking, well, there's, there's nothing I can do. Yes, there is. There is something you can do. There are lots of things you can do. I had this conversation, for example, with my sons on, on category three, um, my sons have saved up some money. They each run a little small business and they're entrepreneurial. And so they decided that they're going to get into the stock market because right now everything is on sale and their ages are 14, 18, and 20. So what that means is if they buy stock now and they're patient and they wait long enough, eventually there could be a real good opportunity for them, a good return on investment. So they're learning how to buy and sell and hold stocks and they're looking at the future and they're, of course, not being reckless or dumping all their money into the market, but they are getting their foot in the pool to understand investments and, and markets and, and, and futures. And so as a result, for them, they may have thought at the beginning of this, you know, there's nothing I can do. And if you're a teenage kid, economically, what can you do right now? There is something you can do. You can learn about finances, budgeting. You could start to get invested. You could start to prepare for the future, hoping, trusting, praying that one day things turn around and the seed that you sow on the ground today becomes a harvest for you in the future financially. There's lots of opportunities. That's what I'm telling you. And so you may look at a lot of things and say, there's nothing I can do. I can't fix it. There is. There is oftentimes something you, you can do. And then category four, you don't think you can fix it and you can't. What do you do? You move on. You look at something, you say, there is nothing I can do about that. I can't fix it. I need to move on from it. Maybe I have a heart funeral. Maybe the retirement I was envisioning or the vacation that we were planning or the wedding that we were anticipating 
Got to have the heart funeral. That's gone. There's nothing you can do about it. It's not your fault. It's just life. It's painful. It's hard. Daniel had these kinds of experiences throughout the course of his whole life. In Daniel chapter 5, the king's throwing a big drunken party, and it's like Mardi Gras meets fraternity meets Persians gone wild, and God shows up with his finger and writes something on the wall that they can't interpret or understand. And it basically says, you're doomed. So they bring Daniel in and they ask Daniel, what does it say? And he says, "Uh, you're doomed. You know what? And what Daniel realizes is he can't fix it. Like God has made his decision, it's over. So that night, literally, historically, the whole nation of Babylon collapsed, was overtaken, sieged, and it was over. And there was nothing Daniel could do about that. It's not like he could say, unless you do this, you're going to fall. What he said was, God's already decided that he's done. And so it's over. Uh, another case study for Daniel. In um, chapter 6, they come to him and they say, hey, you need to worship a false god. You need to worship the king is God. You cannot worship your king. Jesus is God. They said, well, that's not going to happen. They said, well, then we're going to throw you in the lion's den. Daniel didn't try and fix it. Daniel didn't say, no, let me negotiate. Let me try to find a way out of this. He's like, well, I guess I'm going in the lion's den today. I'm sure he was stressed and anxious. And and at this point, he's an elderly man. He had great faith in God, but he just accepted his fate. You know what? I have two choices. I deny God and live, or I worship God and die. Well, looks like I'm dying today. That was his decision. It was very clean and clear. He made his decision. Of course, we know the story. It's one of the most famous in the Bible. He gets thrown in the lion's den and ultimately he gets delivered from the lion's den. Maybe Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, showed up and took care of the lions for him. He just trusted himself into God's hands. And so sometimes even as believers, the moral of the story from Daniel, particularly Daniel in the lion's den, is there's nothing I can do. That's it. I'm dead. Oh, or maybe not. Or maybe God shows up and delivers me. That's always the hope of the believer. We can't make God do anything, but God does like to show up and do some things to deliver those who are trying to seek to walk in obedience and wisdom to him. Daniel has a lot of these scenarios in his life where he just sort of, he's not fatalistic, but he deals with reality and he just resolves, hey, if this is is what it is, then it is what it is. We see this um, as well from chapter seven through 12 in the book of Daniel. Chapters one through six are largely history, past events, Chapter 7 through 12 are largely prophecy, future events. From chapter 7 to chapter 12, it's a whole bunch of things about the future, about empires and kings and kingdoms and the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. And none of that is anything that Daniel has any control over. So what he's basically told in chapter 12 is just roll up the scroll. Everything you've been told, it's going to happen. Just roll it up, meaning... There's nothing you can do. Just know what's coming and move on with your life. That's what he does. How about for you in this season, category four? Um, Some of you, you're losing your job. And you know what? I'm very, very sorry. There may be nothing you can do about that. Your industry, your company, at this point, there's not an opportunity. You're going to have to find your pivot, your plan B, your next move. For some of you, school is canceled. Our kids are home from school. Um, There's nothing we can do about that. That's completely out of our hands. There's no need to go online and rant about the government or rant about the media. 
There's nothing to do. It's not like yelling at the sky is going to change the verdict. It's a waste of time and energy. The people are wasting lots of time, energy, and money right now. And it's okay to have the heart funeral on these things. Uh, this week, um, it was, uh, was home and uh, I was on the phone helping a business leader and then a pastor and trying to help other people figure out you know, what to do with their circumstances as, as we deal with ours as a ministry and a church family. And uh, my wife walked up to me and showed me her phone while I was on the phone. And it said, uh, hey, classes are canceled for the next month. Kids have already been out two weeks. All sports are canceled. And immediately, I'll be honest with you, I got really choked up. I, once I hung up my call, I actually wept. I've not wept like that in years. But just my son, who's a great kid, it's his senior year, and he has great friends, and he's a great student, and he's a godly guy, and I'm just so proud of him. And he had really organized his life with his schoolwork and his friends and his sports, and he'd done everything, really, that you as a parent could ask of a kid. And now, can't go to school, can't see his friends, can't finish his final baseball season. And I'll just be honest, I'm a dad who, I, I'm the dad who's at every activity. Whatever my kids were doing, I was there. I, I was even the weird dad in you know, a lawn chair with my laptop and my Logos Bible software, writing theological books while my kids are playing wiffle ball or t-ball or little league or running track or whatever it is, I'm always there. I'm always there. And ever since the boys were little, I got to watch them play baseball from t-ball all the way up. And then some of them had an opportunity to play college ball, but like my oldest son chose not to. Um, he's working on a business degree. My next son has decided that he just wants to go to college and probably get a business degree as well. And so this was going to be my last year to see my son play ball. So I put every game on the calendar and I carved out my schedule and tried to organize my travel so that I could be at almost, if not every single game for the final season of my son. Last year, they came in fourth in the state. Some years ago, his older brother won first in the state and they were excited to make their run. It's over. It's over. And I just got very emotional. It just feels like going through the calendar. I did this yesterday. I just deleted all of the thing, all the games, all of the sports, all of the activities, the vacations, the family trips. I just spent the whole day just going through the calendar, just deleting things that were going to be wonderful and now they're gone. Okay. And for each of those things, there's nothing I can do. And I know you're all having the same experience. We're all going through this together. And what I'm telling you with these things, it's not that they don't matter and you just ignore them and move on. You, you grieve, you process. I mean, I sat down with my son yesterday and I wept and prayed over him. I said, I'm so sorry, son. I said, you know, if there was anything your dad can do, I would do it, but there's nothing I can do. There's nothing you can do. This is a global pandemic. We've got an international crisis and there's nothing we can do. I can be present, I can love you, I can pray for you, I can help you process. And I'm uh, so proud of my son. Um, you know, he was grieving um, and I'm sure we'll have ongoing conversations. Uh, but later in the day, uh, he uh, went out, bought food, bought some toiletries, brought them to a food bank and dropped them off. And he just, and he did that out of his own 
money. And uh, his, his attitude was, Dad, I, it's a hard day for me, but it's a harder day for some other people. And rather than, you know, just grieving, I also want to try to be helping. That's amazing for an 18-year-old kid. That's amazing for an 18-year-old kid because there was a lot of things in category four. There's nothing he can do. Um, but then he immediately moved to category one. Oh, I can't go to school and I can't do baseball and I may not have my graduation or my senior trip or my prom, which as a dad just devastates me. He did say, you know what? I can help some other people and I can be generous and I can be a blessing. So we moved to category one. That's why I just want to publicly honor and thank my son for being such an encouragement to me. All that to say, Daniel is a case study. As a leader, you get information and you've got to make this decision. Is it category one? I think I can fix it or do something, then move. Time, energy, and money at it. Category two, I think I can fix it. And you can't. And you're wasting time and energy and money unless you move on. And some of you are planners and some of you, once you pick a direction, you have a hard time course correcting. Category two is a ditch that you can get in. Uh, I, I love pastors. I've been on the phone constantly. My phone's ringing off the hook. But I got some pastors and I'm like, so what's your plan? They're like, I don't know. We're just going to stick with what we were doing. No, that, no. You know what? You think you can fix it. You think if you keep doing what used to work, it will work. Well, people can't come to church and life has changed and we got to make an adjustment. And so ultimately, um, you've got to move on from what you were doing and then move to what you need to be doing. And so just because something was working doesn't mean it's going to work and throwing more time, energy, and money at something that isn't going to work is not going to make it work. It's going to exhaust and deplete you. Third category, you don't think you can fix it and you can. Maybe you just assumed, oh, there's nothing I can do there. Take a look at it. Is there something I can do? Is there something I can do? And then category four, uh, you don't think you can fix it and you can't. Have the heart, funeral, grieve, deal with reality so that you can move on to category one, what can I do? My hope, prayer, and goal for you is to give you permission in categories two and four to move on and shift your time, energy, money to category one and category three. Um, practically, discussion and prayer, I'll close with this. Some of you are watching as groups, great. Some of you are getting Zoom groups together. Thank you for doing that. What's in category one? What's in category two? What's in category three? What's in category four, right? What things are you dealing with right now? Your time, your money, your energy, your emotional well-being, your physical health, your marriage, your kids, your employer, all of these variables. Maybe it's extended family or people you know who are struggling or sick. What things go in what categories and who or what gets your time, energy, and money? This is a very practical conversation that Grace and I, quite frankly, are having pretty much daily. Pretty much daily. This is a waste of time and energy and money. We need to shift our time and energy and money over here because we really can't do anything about these things, but we can do something about these things. And as life changes and as things continue to roll out and as information becomes available, this is a regular conversation. I mean, even this week in Arizona, we were one of the last states, as I understand it, to put a quarantine in place, but we did. Well, that changes workflow, that changes school, that changes shopping, that changes friends. All of a sudden, we've got to run back through the grid and make the course corrections. I love you. I'm praying for you. Uh, I am sorry and grieved by the losses that we are all experiencing, the worst of which is, of course, human life. And praise be to God that as believers, we know that there is life after death. And so even worst case scenario is pretty good because we get to go be with Jesus. But in the meantime, Jesus comes to be with us to help us get through whatever we are facing. 
If you've got a prayer request, send it into hello at markdriscoll.org and I'll be praying for you along with my team and or post it on social media. And I'd encourage others to just be praying for loving, encouraging, blessing, and unburdening others. For you men, this is the time that you need to lovingly, humbly, wisely lead your family. Lead your family into the purposes of God for the future. Father, thank you for an opportunity to just share a little bit with the men and those women who are listening in. And uh, Lord God, for some people, the adjustment is hard because everything that they had planned has changed and the way they were doing life is no longer the way they can do life. And so Lord God, let them have the heart funeral, but then let them shift their energies toward the things that they can fix or make improvements on and start to see some progress in those areas, trusting you in all areas. In Jesus' good name we pray, amen.